Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Charles Smith. Now, my guest this week is Gail Team, founder of Dust & Glow, an innovative beauty startup. And I say innovative because she's shaking things up, not just in one dimension, but two dimensions of sustainability. Firstly, she's helping customers avoid single-use plastics by providing infinitely recyclable aluminium keep bottles and home compostable refill sachets. But she's also formulated her hair and skincare range to powder-based, thus saving water and removing a significant carbon footprint from the logistics part of the supply chain. Now, we've seen similar models used by brands like Resparkle and Bearstop on this show. But as you'll see, the way Gail's products work are slightly different, again, bringing a whole new set of compelling functional benefits into the mix for her customers. I haven't seen anyone else in the beauty space doing what Gail's doing. She generously takes us through her journey to date from setting up a kind of chemistry lab in her kitchen during lockdown through the trials of finding a manufacturer that would even try and work with her and then forward to today with a full year of brand activations and expansion to the UK well underway. For me, this was a fascinating behind the scenes look at a young purpose-driven brand totally rethinking an industry and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So with that, let's start the show. team welcome to the show hi thanks for having me i'm very excited to have such an innovative brand join me so early in the year um making essentially powder-based skincare products gail and so please tell us a little bit about yourself gail how did you get into the dust and glow game what's what was the pathway for you as a founder and why did you start it in the first place yeah so it has been um a long journey i will say so i originally from France, you will pick up on the accent, um, and started my career in product development. And initially, I was working on a lot of kitchen appliances, so nothing to do with beauty, except that at one point in my career, I um, worked with a team creating a machine, basically, that allows you to make your own skincare at home. So you were adding a few ingredients, pressing a button, and it will make a moisturizer or cream. So that's how I kind of moved um, from product development to beauty. And I moved to Netherlands in 2011, so almost 12 years ago now. Yeah. And started working for beauty giant L'Oreal in their um, beauty department. So I worked on um, all skincare portfolio for a few years. And after that, I moved and was heading the marketing team for a New Zealand um, success story in terms of skincare, trilogy skincare, if you might uh, know about it. So I worked for the past 10 years in beauty, involving product development, launching in other markets, and basically crafting the marketing stories. And for my own consumption, I went from using lots of products uh, because I had easy access to a lot of beauty products to then moving into only natural organic skincare. And let's be honest, I use thousands and thousands of products in my previous life. Um, five years ago, I had my daughter, and then I started being really, really picky on what I was using on her, or mostly what I was not 
using honor. And it kind of started, I guess, a shift in mindset in terms of ingredients, toxicity of ingredients, or at least lack of information on what some of the ingredients could do to you. Um, and also more aware of all these plastic bottles. And I think I was more agitated about what's going to be the legacy and what role I'm going to hand over to the next generations because on the way we are consuming every day. So it was not like I woke up one day and I was like, yes, I'm going to you know, create a natural product in powder. It was more a slow shift, months and months um, and year after year. And almost three years ago, I had what I call a midlife crisis uh, where I decided that I wanted an occupation that was more pers- um, with more purpose. And I didn't quite know yet how it looked like. I was obsessed with packaging and trying to reduce um, plastic consumption, but I was also more and more aware of some really big problems we have in the world, like uh, water shortage. Um, and when you work in the beauty industry, you realize quite quickly that not only we have toxic ingredients in our products, but also most of our products are filled with water. And if you talk about a shampoo, it's 80% water. If you talk about a conditioner, it can be 90% water. And I'm not even mentioning here the mist sprays or some of the tonics and things like that, or toners that can have like full water, 98% water in it. So it was kind of a slow shift. Um, and I decided to leave my previous job and to do a bit of marketing consulting uh, for a while because I have a background in marketing. But I had this crazy idea, I call it in my head, about powder and waterless and how it could look like if we were removing the water. So I decided to give myself um, a few months to look into it. Just happened to be exactly when New Zealand went into lockdown in 2020, which was lots of fun. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I decided to start playing with the concept myself. So while I'm not a cosmetic formulator, um, I understand how products are made, what they're made of, and I guess some of the basic rules. So I ordered heaps of products and powders online, got them delivered and started playing in my kitchen. The first few attempts were not working really well. Um, and then I managed to get to a formulation, I think around 60, 70% working. So it was washing my hair. Um, it was doing what it was supposed to do. Just the experience wasn't super nice in terms of the consistency of the powder. It was a bit um, too gooey or clunky. Um, but I could feel that it, I was off to a great start. So what I did, I started contacting all the third party manufacturer and cosmetic labs that I know in New Zealand and I knew most of them. Uh, which was quite lucky, but initially they all said no. Um, so I went again and I asked again, and they still said no. So why did they say no, Gail? What what was their reluctance to get on this journey with you? I think there were a few things. First thing is during lockdown, everyone wanted to make a skincare brand or a hair care brand, and most of the food planning man- manufacturers were at full capacity and already struggling with meeting their demand, existing demand. So I think that, like, to be fair on them, that was the main thing. The second thing is powder was new. So now there are a few powder brands that are launching, mostly in the cleaning space. Mm. But when I started and said, I want to do powder, 
it was kind of the two hot baskets. We don't have time. We don't know how we're going to do it because you really need somebody that's going to re-engineer the formulations. Um, the any cosmetic formulator can crack a cream and a moisturizer like really quickly. They know they have a recipe. They change a few ingredients and it works. I'm simplifying it, but you know the the basis of a moisturizer is not super complicated. Yeah, it's a known pathway to get to a cream or a moisturizer. Yeah. Yeah. Where here they had to kind of rethink and add a very strict um, ingredient list because I wanted it to be natural. I wanted to be vegan. I wanted to make sure uh, there was no preservative system, no fragrance in it, and I didn't want any ingredients that were there for no reason. So there was a lot of constraints, I guess, and they would have had to spend quite a bit of time re-engineering the formulation. And the third one, let's be realistic, uh, my initial quantities that I was committing to were quite small. So in terms of time spent versus potential results for the third party manufacturer i wasn't necessarily an interesting case <laughs> yeah I, I get that we've all we've all been uh we've all had startups where we've had to have that conversation so how did you win in the end how did you get that someone to actually go yeah okay let's do this yeah so i started with one um one third party manufacturer they tried for a few months unfortunately didn't quite work um and I think they didn't have enough resources at the time to spend into the research part of um, the formulation. So I went back to one of the third party manufacturers in Auckland that I've known from previous years. And I called them. Then I went physically there and I told them that I was not living in Chile. Oh, I love yes. that. So, um, Took a while. I did brought a few sweets and th things like that with me for that there, just to kind of you know help. <laughs> and I brought my homemade samples that weren't that great, and my proposed um, formulation recipe. And after quite a bit of talking and chatting, they said that they will take a gamble on, on me. So thanks so much to them, um, because otherwise. Um, I don't know, I would have maybe had to do it from my kitchen, which you can totally do in New Zealand. But I wanted the backup of the lab in terms of stability testing, um, microbiology, and also to yes. be able to scale it up for overseas expansion. It was a requirement to be in a proper approved certified lab. I love the idea that you mentioned there of doing business via confectionery bribing. Uh, that's brilliant. But uh, how long did it take you with this new factory before your formulations were effective and usable? Yes, I took almost a year for the shampoo and um, almost two years for the conditioner because I couldn't get the ingredients I needed for the conditioner. It just didn't work. So we had to spend a bit more time. So I made the decision to launch with the conditioner to start with and bring it a bit later. Yeah, right. So when you say it took a year or two years, what's what's happening in that time frame? Are you just endlessly cycling through diff slightly different variations of formula to get the right to get the right uh, skin feel, or what's happening in that in that duration? It's a combination of both because you have to first test the formulation and then you have to test the formulation in the packaging. So um, the first steps in terms of formulation is to really send a brief um, to the to the factory and tell them which ingredients you're thinking of, why, at what concentration, all the ingredients you don't want in the formulation, which for me, the list of what I didn't want in it was longer than the products, the ingredients right. I wanted in. And then they send you sample and you try them. Um, 
somewhere easier. I tried them myself. Yes, it works. No, it doesn't work. And then giving feedback on, you know, the feel of it or the texture of it. It's fine when it's in powder, but it doesn't really activate and form enough when I turn it into the lather. Or it's leaving, for example, the conditioner. It was trying to find the slip of the conditioner that was hydrating enough, but not really weighing down your hair and that would rinse also easily. So it was all this combination. So I did all of these ones back and forth with the, um, with the lab quite a few times myself. And when I got to a result, I was quite happy with, I used a pool of uh, testers. So I had around 30 people that tried before launch most of the products for a month and then I followed how they were doing and then on second month to kind of see. So based on that, some of the products went back to um, having a few improvements and some of them were launched and they were like, yeah, all good to go, great feedback. Um, and that was a really good way to gather insights from the get-go on, is that even going to work or not? Yeah. And also having this engaged pool of testers that are still now uh, giving me some feedback on some new products or have some new leads on the bottles and they're quite involved um, and it have been amazing to get them from the get-go yeah amazing what a, what a what a smart place to start having uh i mean obviously you needed to do some some market testing for the product but also then transitioning those people into essentially ongoing champions for the brand which is which is brilliant but you mentioned something that i i'd like to uh, sort of drill into a little bit further there, which was this interaction of the of the product, which is the, the consumable powder with the packaging. So tell us a little yeah. about that story, because that's interesting, because you've got compostable um, refill sachets and you, you're using aluminium sort of keep bottles, if you like. So how did you get there? Yeah, so I had a few challenges with finding the perfect packaging, and I think I'm still on the quest for the perfect packaging. Um, so the challenge with powder is I needed um, something that would protect the powder from getting wet in the shower. That was from a pure functional point of view. And it's to keep it dry. Um, the second, I wanted something that was lightweight and easy to take with you and carry around. Um, you know, when you go traveling or go to the gym and you have all these bottles that are leaking everywhere. So it was something I really wanted um, from the get-go. I wanted something that was not dangerous um, in the shower. I do have a five-year-old and I know how glass can be quite tricky um, once you accidentally drop it yes. on your shower floor. Um, and of course, I didn't want any plastic. So that was kind of, I tried a few things um, that didn't quite work. And I also wanted from the get-go a refill system. So the refills, um, I've gone down the route of home compostable paper um, pouches that you can basically um, refill your existing bottle so you can keep your bottle over and over. And um, it's super easy to do. It takes literally 30 seconds to refill. Um, I wanted them home compostable. I still think if you can remove all of that from landfill from the get-go putting in your compost bin you're saving already uh, a lot of um, emissions and things like that yeah and let's face it like i do recycle my soft plastic but you have to put it somewhere then you have to drop it it's all about the convenience like here i you literally have to chop it up put it in your compost bin it's done you don't have to actively um you know 
go and do another step. You said the magic word for me there, which is home compostable, right? Because that's, I don't know about New Zealand, but certainly in Australia, as far as I'm aware, we don't have any industrial compostable composting facilities. So things that say, you know, can can compost down in industrial facility, that's no good to us <laughs> here in Australia. So I don't know, is the same thing that the case in New Zealand? Yeah, it depends. It depends per region. So that's the challenge too with anything recycling is you will have some facilities in some regions and not in others. Yeah. Um, for Auckland, what happens for anything that is industrial compostable is they ship it somewhere else. Yeah, right. So they, you know, they go overseas. So all the patches and things like that, um, or they use a third party like TerraCycle mm. um, that will then dispose of them and um, put them back in action. So that that's something... I was trying to avoid um, saying that I mentioned um, a bit earlier that the initial home compostable uh, bags that I chose, they were composting a bit too fast uh, and their shelf life were really reduced. So I um, had to kind of change direction and find another one that has a longer shelf life while still being home compostable, which yeah. is really important for consumers, for my stock in inventory. If they are more stable, that means that there's less waste also in terms of packaging and inventory and also for my retailers, because let's face it, we don't really want to sell bags that break down. So where's the balance with that, uh, Gail? What, what sort of material should other brands be looking for if they want to get that nice balance of shelf life and home compostability? Yeah, it's it's quite a hard answer because it really depends on what products and ingredients you're putting in the bags. So um, for me, I needed some that were thick enough so that there wasn't any air going into the powders because otherwise the powders could start getting a bit humid and wet and then clogging up. So yeah. I think it's really any brand out there looking into launching, they really need to test them and also make sure they do the stability test properly. Um, so putting them, if you're in a factory, putting them in what they call the oven and kind of measuring after a few months how it's evolving and also how it's impacting the powder. If you don't have a factory, a good test is the window test. You put something on the window, you leave it for, you know, two months and you measure, you know, month after month if there is any breaking down of um, the the powder inside, the ingredient inside, if there is a change of color and things like that. It's always the Usually a bathroom window is always a good yeah. is a good one to kind of test things if you don't have um the back uh, the backing up of a factory. Yeah, very very insightful. That that all makes sense. So let's come back to the powder itself because I think one of the things that's really interesting about the way that you've approached all this, you know, powder. I mean, well, first of all, we should probably talk about about why powder is better than than I guess liquid based. Uh, solutions and and there are some obvious answers to that but then i'd like to i'd really like to understand because your approach to powder is different to other people's whereas other people's powders you know are typically you hydrate them in the bottle and and it and it becomes a foaming solution or whatever in the bottle that you then store yours doesn't work like that does it tell us tell us a little bit about that journey and why why you think that's a great solution yeah so i've chosen the way where your powder stays in powder and you only activate it um every day basically when you use it um so why I chose powder? Um, the first thing is there is no water that's used in production or in the formulation. And by doing that, when um, you know that there is 80% water in a shampoo, 90% powder in a conditioner, that means that in your um, bottle of shampoo, you're saving lots of water um, already in there. 
but mostly it's going to be the weight of it and the carbon emission. So usually a shampoo bottle, let's talk about a you know 300 ml shampoo bottle, it can weigh between 350 grams to 400 grams when you add the weight of the bottle. Um, compared to a dust and glow shampoo, with the aluminium bottle weighs 60 grams. And it's the same wow. as three bottles of shampoo. So right away, every time you will order your bottle and you get it shipped, then you're already removing the weight from, from that and the packaging weight and the carbon emission of shipping it around, which also means that for exports, for example, uh, my um, distributors are quite happy because that means it's less weight, less yes. shipments, less money, less carbon emission. So, um, yeah, no water, which means less packaging. There is also no preservative system required. So um, water attracts bacteria. If there is no water, the bacteria can't grow. So that means I've completely removed the preservative system from the formulation, which was quite important for me. Um, a lot of natural brands still use some preservative systems that are approved by EcoSuit or Cosmos or Natural, but they're still preservative system, and I wanted to avoid them as much as I could. Um, it also means that the products are super concentrated. So one little bottle will last you um, three to four months of use compared to your usual ones, which means that you have to shop less often, um, yeah. so it's, and it's also back into you don't have to reorder, so you are removing the shipping again and things like that. And it's, yeah. in the long run, it will cost you less, not in the short run, but in the long run, um, it's it will be cheaper than buying three or four bottles of shampoo. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I was um, all about powder, and I also really like the convenience of for traveling and the compactness i guess of the bottles so you can yeah. go on a plane with it don't have to check it in your um suitcase you can go to the gym with it you can go camping um, because also the formula inside is biodegradable so no harm to our waterways what a great thought process you've gone through to to arrive at that but i suppose looking at the flip side of this i'm intrigued by the customer re-education that probably is required because let's let's be honest powder-based beauty is quite new um you're certainly a pioneer in this space and so obviously there's a there's an education journey that needs to happen or a re-education journey that needs to happen for consumers who are who are starting to use solid-based beauty products uh to start with but then i guess is there a perception gap between you know a beautiful bottle of, of you know a two liter bottle of something they see on the shelf and they think oh great I'll pay a hundred dollars for that it looks substantial to a, a tiny little aluminium bottle that might be equivalent to three of the big ones but it seems smaller and is there a perception gap that you have to get around how do you tell that story yeah so that has been the part um, that is not easy and I need to keep telling the story again and again I think. The first point is people don't visualize how the powder is going to turn into a shampoo or body wash. And mm. I guess, why should that? Because they've never seen it work. So um, it's all about, for me, creating more content videos and pictures showing the action and how easy it is to use. Um, the second perception is sometimes people think, oh, it's going to be complicated. Um, it is not. You literally have to sprinkle a bit on your hand, wet your hand, and start lathering, and that's it. So, 
Um, my five-year-old has been using it for the last two years. And now it's quite funny because she activated herself. But if she uses something else, she will try to reactivate, you know, a normal body wash like she does with the powder. So for her, that's what she knows now because she has not used um, anything else. She calls it magic. Um, but it's more trying to explain and do a lot of demonstration. Unfortunately, when I launched, it was COVID time, but now I'm going and heading to a lot of consumer shows and things like that. So I can do the demonstration on the stand and show people that it takes two seconds um, and it works. So that's an interesting thing to comment on as well, in the sense that you launched at a very interesting time, right? You launched right at the start of, of, of the COVID dramas. And I know that New Zealand, probably more than many other countries, has had all sorts of challenges with supply chains and goodness knows what else um, through that through that last period. But as you know, now you're, you're coming out the other side into goodness knows what's going to happen in 2023. But 2022 was a, certainly a different year to any year that we'd experienced before COVID. So how has that influenced and shaped the way that you discuss things with your customers and, and shaped the way that you plan your business? How is that? How has that really odd period changed things yeah well let's face it timing was not great but you know couldn't have planned it so um i think the biggest challenge i faced initially was add a pathway or go to market strategy that just didn't happen um i was planning on attending a lot of events trade shows consumer trade shows gift fairs Mm. they all got cancelled so i never managed to go in year one i didn't attend one which was a big problem um, second is all the retailers I started talking to and even some that almost had uh, created an order and were ready to go, they all put yeah. the pause button uh, and I was just like suddenly, what am I going to do here? So I decided to be patient and to really engage with my customers through my online website. While the sales weren't great, and you know, let's be honest here, it's it was way slower than I thought. What it allowed me to do was to have that direct connection and direct way to discuss and have feedback from my existing consumers. And despite the fact that we were in COVID time, I still had some early um, adopters that went in, bought the products, and I could see they were coming back and things like that. So, I guess maybe in maybe it was a good thing because. I managed to get more insights. Um, a lot of existing customers were really keen to get on the phone with me or sending me feedback on emails on what I could improve, what I should talk about. Um, I even had some, a lot, asking for samples. And that was something I didn't have at the beginning when I launched no samples because I couldn't figure out a way to do it in a sustainable mm. way. Um, and after exchanging, one of my customers suggested adding a mini aluminium tin with a bit of powder. So I was like, oh, well, fine. I put a poll on social media and I was like, who wants to try them like that? And I got quite a few people to say, yeah, we're so keen. So I initially ordered 30 tins, um, so mini tins. And I was like, we're going to try with 30. Um, I sold them overnight. So I was like, okay, we might order 50 more. And I filled another 50 more and they were all gone. It's like, okay, no, I really need to think about these samples and how we yeah. going to make it work. So now I do offer them in trial packs. So I have trial packs of three mini products inside. There is enough to try five to seven times. Um, and they come in a set, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, uh, the same thing for the face. And it really allows people 
to give it a go and understand how the powder works, how you use it, how it's going to work for them without feel or fearing that they're going to try something mm. that's not going to work. Um, I make it super easy for the customer. They came with um, a percentage of their next full, full size purchase. And at the moment, my problem is I can't fill them fast enough. They keep selling out, which is a the samples. Yeah, which is a yeah, problem. wow. Um, but yeah, that has been that's been a learning curve. Um, I would still want to improve a few things on them, but at the moment, they are a great way for people to test it um, and really see if they like it. And they're even more travel friendly than the other bottles because they weigh five grams, so they feel literally yeah. fit in your pocket. Right back early in the podcast, first series, of the podcast. Um, I talked to uh, what not natural they're a natural skincare product well and and in the early days they they were selling essentially baby wipes or natural baby wipes and they talked a lot about the importance and and the benefits of using sample packs you know to the growth of their business and and I remember something really stuck out to me she said that the, the agents that she was working with, particularly for overseas expansion, were saying that samples don't really work. They don't convert into ongoing customers. They're just people just want the free stuff. Essentially, they want the low price, the free stuff. And she was always adamant that that's nonsense because what they actually the benefits they get out is they get to experience the product and it's genuinely better than they've ever had anything else to have before. And then they go in the head and buy it. And so for them, it was a really effective strategy. Have you have you found the same? What's your actual conversion looking like from the sample pack to an ongoing customer? Yeah, it's I've been tracking it because um, trial packs and things like that, um, you know, are really time consuming and they're also a costly exercise. But when you already have the way I see it is when I already have a customer that goes on the website that has gone in there, looked into it and bought the trial pack, that means mm. that they're already quite engaged. So it's the best way for me to convert them. Um I do have around seventy percent conversion wow. rate from the trial packs to a full size purchase, yeah, that's which awesome. is really high. Um and what I also do is and most of my customers will know when they order let's say they order a full-size shampoo i will um, add a mini conditioner in um, the order or when they order a body wash i might say okay i will try to give them a mini face cleanser it's not every time but most of the time most of my customers will know and it's a great way for them to try another product from the range and to be honest if they already bought one shampoo or one conditioner the likelihood of them liking you know, another product from the range is quite high. It is cheaper sure. than me running Facebook ads to try to recruit, you know, people um, over customers. Yeah, and it's, and it's uh, I would imagine, a lot more effective than even an email campaign to existing customers who may or may not open it. But then they that you've immediately got this reciprocity thing going on where you've received this thing that you know that person's going to want because you know you know that they're going if they wash their hair they know you know that they're going to have you know shampoo uh, uh, sorry a conditioner needs as well so it absolutely makes sense i think it's a very smart strategy and that that i can see that's very impressive though 70% conversion through to you know full price sales is amazing yeah and so this year is going to be all about how can i um increase the number of samples or the type of samples i'm doing and where am i sending them to make sure i get new customers on board 
Yeah, yeah. And so aside from the ones that you include in the purchase uh, to your customers, it's it's something you sell rather than give away at trade shows or include in, in other gift packs and things, is it? Yeah, so what I do is I um, I give away um, sometimes for GWPs or things like that with retailers or to people, I give one mini sample, but I do sell the trial pack that are free in them. So they have a bit more value yeah. and they also look, they're all in a home compostable box also so that you can just put the, the compost back into um, the box, into the compost bin and something plastic free. And they make great gifts uh, for Christmas, for example, they were quite successful. Um, it's also a price point. So people are keen to try new products, but they also want to make sure that it's going to work. So it's a good where to try i love the whole idea of it i think it's i do think it's very 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 smart um i like the idea of you know your your brand activations that you're doing this year because because you've got something that's quite unusual in the space and it does require a bit of re-education being able to interact with customers show them how to use the product watch their face as they as it suddenly dawns on them you know what this means and how they can live more sustainably and have at least as good a, if not better and certainly more natural solution to their hair care and skin care than they've had previously i think that's going to be a very interesting exercise and and i certainly will be excited to see how that goes uh, for you uh, through the year but i want to come back to this notion of storytelling because one of the things that i think is is critical with all with any brand that is in the sustainability space is being able to communicate both the how you solve the customer's actual problems in their life in this case how they do natural skincare and how you solve their problems of how to become more sustainable in their in their everyday and and of course your brand does that really really well but one of the things that i love about looking at your website and looking at your social media is that you have so many elements that we have identified are very important components to an overall story so i'd love to hear your thoughts on on how you approach uh, storytelling of what your brand does and what it means and how it fits in the consumer's life, as well as what your perceptions are of how how your customers want to hear that story. I'd love to I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. So I guess well, the first thing is I do have a background in marketing, which helps on a few things. Um, but when I launched, I was super lucky. I got into a startup incubator. And one of my mentor was um, the founder of EcoStore. If you know EcoStore from New yes, Zealand, yes, I do. Yeah, uh, yep. So I spent quite a bit of time with Malcolm, and he's passionate about storytelling and the purpose and the why. And after that, he grilled me on quite a few things. I was like, "Yes, yeah, so what? <laughs> so that's part of so what? How is that going to help me?" And while I thought initially that I did sorted. Having, well, taking the time to think about all these elements and what of its benefits. And I guess because I was already, I'm convinced I've already used the products and it, you know, they're my babies. So I think I was missing sometimes the, you know, for the person that has never used anything natural or that never used a solid bar, for example, how is that going to help them? And that was the piece I really need to nail. So I worked on the Lean Canvas, um, tried to map it out, and then I really tested it out. Um, there were ways I was saying some of the benefits sometimes didn't quite resonate. And it's how about telling the same thing in different ways and kind of seeing what 
working, what's resonating with the consumers or not, mm. and also with the different audiences. So I have one audience, they are really into anything sustainable, um, trying to reduce their plastic, and they want to know every ingredient, so you better know your ingredients, um, yeah. and where they're sourced, from whom, uh, how did they come to New Zealand, and they want to know all the details. Um, and I also have an audience that's all about the convenience. They want it for travel, they want it for the gym, they want it for the camper van, and they are all about, you know, how much does it weigh? How am I going to store it into my shower? How am I going to put it in my bag? Is it going to leak? Is it going to explode? Um, is it going to be confiscate, confiscated when I go on the plane? So all these more functional questions, I guess, versus yeah. the other ones are more you know, when are you becoming B Corp or uh, what are your certifications? Do you have a certificate from the factory showing that they don't have child labor? So different audiences and different messages. So I'm still, I guess, in the phase when I'm testing some of them. Um, some of them are resonating well and yeah. some a bit less. So kind of nailing it down. Yeah. So your your the, the group of customers, your audience that you'd regard as being more functionally orientated, you know, you're, so you're solving their functional problems. We literally use that word. Do you think they're still interested in sustainability? Do you think they still care about that, or they are, it's it, it's just a nice to have, or is it is it are they actively looking, but they but it's not what brought them to you? I think what I see with the difference between the two audiences is the one that are passionate about sustainability and re- already engage they can accept a few compromises in terms of functionality because we believe in the essence of the brand and they believe in the mission we're trying to save water we're trying to save plastic so they will accept for example at the beginning at the lead that wasn't super convenient to pour the powder so they were like yeah that's fine we're happy to cope i guess with it for a bit where the other audience, they are interested in the fact that it's vegan and natural and not damaging the waterways, but they wouldn't pick it if it's not convenient Correct. to them. Yeah. So it's all about managing convenience and functionality with being sustainable. And let's face it, most people will give up after a while or not engage if the product doesn't work as expected what you've just described is two particular avatars that we talk about a lot one is the eco warriors right and who are classically they live their life sustainably they they their values are deeply around being uh, e- ecologically centered and and they are literally like you said willing to sacrifice some degree of functionality uh, in exchange for something that map, maps their values. And that's very important because that means that when you're marketing to those people, you need to lay out all the things that they're expecting to see so that they can clearly see how it does map to their values. But that being said, the last comment you made there about the fact the product still needs to work, that only lasts for so long. At the end of the day, they will buy a product even though they know there's compromises Uh, down the line but they may not continue to keep using it so if you want them if you want to get those eco warriors to continue using it and be the champions that you know they can be it still has to be at least as good if not better than anything else that's on the marketplace you can't you can't take shortcuts on the product design and then the second group that you talked about was what we would call um 
aspirational ecocentrics. They're essentially focused first on solving their functional problems. That's what brings them to you because they see some benefit in it. It's small, it's light, it's safe in the shower. And then all the other things are nice to have. So they're going, oh, great. So it's um, made of natural components. It's non-toxic. It's it's vegan. It's all these things. They're all great. They're all nice tick check boxes, but they won't buy unless it solves their functional problems first. And, and probably that gets them across the line versus some other product that might be on the marketplace because it ticks all those extra boxes. But they certainly won't keep using if it doesn't continue to surprise and delight them as a functional solution. So it's so nice to hear you saying that exact thing uh, from your own experience as well. So so thanks so much for sharing that. So what else do you think is important in terms of how you communicate with your customers and, and how, how you build that community of people that are excited about the journey that you're on? I think one of the key point is trying to be transparent and honest um not trying to claim that everything is perfect all the time um i've been trying to keep my current customers and anyone that's um watching on social and selling them on you know things that i still want to improve or things that i tried and didn't work and things that i would love to do but haven't been able to get there yet um, I've also been sharing a bit about the reality of being a small business. It's only me uh, at the moment and I have some amazing freelancers that are helping me on a regular basis. But sometimes I need to do everything. I need to do the social media. I need to do the videos. I need to do like it's all of that that sometimes it's just like, I don't know how to do this. Um, and I've also realized more and more people want to see me they want to hear about my story um i got super surprised um this year i did lots of events and people come they want to say hi uh, they said they have seen me in a magazine but they wanted to chat to me it's almost like are you a real person yeah right <laughs> um, but i think it's that face-to-face discussion and people wanted to see demonstrations of how the product is being used and i think that's the trust element here they want to hear from somebody they can relate to i guess um and somebody that's human rather than you know um a faceless brand and things like that and that's the part where i'm still struggling a bit um, i have no problem talking uh, but you know putting videos of yourself all the time is not super easy but getting there slowly yeah fantastic what a, what a great learning as well and um you know so many people uh, brand owners have commented to me that they get a lot more traction uh, and I've seen this many times as well, a lot more traction on social media, building communities, a lot more engagement when they're face to camera talking, when they're doing that sort of stuff. And 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 that's certainly very much the case. So you talk there about, you know, um, you know, transition now into post-COVID world. Who, who, who ever knows what's going to happen in 2023? But what does the outlook for 2023 look like for you as the founder? What's driving you? Uh, what What are the key things that you know that you've got to do this next year? I'm quite excited about this year. I feel like suddenly a few more things are possible, which is quite good. So first, I've um, registered to a lot, a lot of events um, in New Zealand. So almost every month, I'm going to be in one of the trade show or consumer show somewhere. And I'm going to try to also get around quite a few regions because let's face it, with COVID, travel has also been limited. So even within New Zealand, um, I'm excited to be able to go to Australia later this year because since I launched, 
uh, believe it or not, haven't been able to make it to Australia, which sounds um, really crazy. No, we've had a lot of travel restrictions, haven't we? That's for sure. I know. It's, it's like, in a past life, I used to go quite often. And uh, it's really good for my carbon footprint, but uh, I've yeah. been to Australia in a long time. And I'm also um, about to launch in the UK um, in a couple of months. So that's quite ah. Exciting. Congratulations. So what's your vehicle for that? How are you managing that? What's your what's your approach to uh, overseas expansion? Yeah, so I've um I've already expanded to Hong Kong and now I'm expanding to the UK. Um I'm going to work with a distributor um in the UK, it makes things mm-hmm. a bit easier. I'm not on the ground and with the reality of travel nowadays, it's not like you can fly or not that I would want to fly um, every month or second month to make sure everything is on track. So I'm partnering with um, an amazing distributor that I have known for years and years and that I trust and they have a good pulse on the market. And I'm really going to start with um, a lot of online natural um, retailers in, in the UK. So that's going to be the first thing. Um, and I'm still looking for a distributor in Australia, if anyone is listening. <laughs> yeah, so I think for me, it's really um, going to try to increase my online sales and really get into more um, retail space. Um, a lot of retailers were really keen um, in the last year, but we've lots of them have had also cash flow issues and things like that, which has been um, difficult. And I'm also um, trying to really uh, crack the resale stores. So trying to sell in bulk to some of the new refill shops and things like that so that people can go directly there um, and they can skip even the home compostable refills. They can directly go with their Dustin Glow bottle and get it refilled directly. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, and it's been developing and becoming more and more important in the retail landscape. So that's just yeah. another piece of packaging um, if we can. Yeah, I think that's interesting because we're just very much now starting to scratch the surface with refill stores in Australia. I wouldn't say they're common uh, at this point in time. Is that something that's growing and, and is, is commonplace in New Zealand now? We have had quite a few that have been um, successful um, in the last year or so, year or two years. Uh, and we are becoming, so initially they started more with the bulk, you know, nuts and cereals yeah, yeah. and things like that. But we're starting to really bring more uh, beauty products and other um, items, cleaning items and things like that. So I'm really keen to get these ones, you know, really starting and firing because it makes so much sense. People are already there, they're already buying in bulk. To be fair, they don't even need to refill it in my bottle. They can refill it in any bottle they, they may want or any container they may have. Um, it doesn't really um, bother me. It's all about trying to reduce our impact as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that word impact. And just to finish off what I know that you guys are focused on on making impact. There's, there's definitely some, you know, some underlying mission with what you're doing with Dust and Glow. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the overall mission is I'm really trying to save um, water in general. So um, the ambitious goal at the moment is to um, save and give back one million days of clean water um, to people who don't have water access. So for that, I'm working with Charity Water and I'm donating 1% of my gross sales um, for every um, Dust and Glow uh, product you buy. So it is an ambitious goal, but I guess I need to put it there and really try. And if it's not 1 million, might be 2, might be half a million, I guess it doesn't really matter as long as we're all about saving water. And at the same time, we're saving plastic 
Well, congratulations on setting such a worthwhile and ambitious BHAG there for your business. And of course, your your mission is is clearly congruent with your with your business activities and the products that you make and sell. So that's fantastic. So Gail, I think we've come to the end of our time together. Where can people go and get your amazing Dusting Low products? Yeah, so you can go um, online to um, www.dustandglow.com. Um, if you're based in Australia, you can also shop uh, from Flora and Fauna online. We do have it and they do ship faster uh, that's um, from New Zealand to Australia. And if you um, order online uh, through Dustin Glow, if you use the code GOOD15, you can get 15% off your next purchase. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Gail, for sharing your time so generously with us today and, and the, the incredible journey that you've been on over the past couple of years. It must feel like a decade or more since you've been at the coalface, but it's really only a couple of years to get to the success that you are today. So congratulations on all that. And, and thanks so much. It's been wonderful chatting with you today. Thanks for having me. Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. And firstly, if your brand delivers consumable products and you don't already offer trial or tester packs in some form, perhaps it's time to consider how to do that. All the way back in episode six, we heard from Sinead Roberts at Whatnot Naturals that tester packs were a key to her success. And today we heard the same thing from Gail. With 70% conversion from a trial pack to full product purchases, it could be a critical way to overcome customers' natural uncertainty to try something new, especially if you're doing something out of the norm, like powder-based formulation. Now, Gail obviously is doing something a little unusual, and that inherently means more education and explanation in the sales process. She described it as having to tell the story again and again, and I think that's exactly right. You honestly can't tell your story too often. People need to see the same story over and over on every channel. And rather than being dilutive, in fact, it makes your brand story more concrete, more authentic, more memorable, and ultimately more effective. So never be afraid of telling your story over and over. And lastly, Gail talked about the importance of the founder being seen. If you're a startup brand, you have precious few advantages over the giants. But what you do have is you. People want to see and relate to the human behind the brand. They want to connect with you, not your social thread. I can't overstate how valuable it is for the founder to be the active face of the brand, engaging your customers in the journey, sharing your excitement, sharing your challenges, and ultimately becoming their trusted guide as they become one of the heroes in your mission. And just as an aside, Dust and Glow did extremely well in our sustainable marketing index assessment, scoring in the top 10% of all the brands that we've assessed, which is particularly impressive for a business that's just less than two years old. So for inspiration, as well as to try her amazing powder-based skincare, head over to dustandglow.com. I'll be back again next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet.